switch over to chapter 10. But I really, I think the, there's going to be a lot of scripture used this morning. So follow along, put on your uh, seat belts and, and take off your mask and here we go, okay, if you uh, care to. First Samuel 9, uh, let's, let's read this passage together beginning here with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. There was a Benjaminite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, turning to chapter 10, verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mitzpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. Now, we talked about this last week. Israel elected to have a king instead of follow the direct leadership of God. So now, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. May God add his blessing to his word. Today, well, I, I got another haircut this week. Some of you may have noticed that, and again, they gave me the senior discount. And, and this was another lady, another entirely different lady, cutting my hair. I'm beginning to think that these women are either blind or somehow maybe they have me in the computer, you know, as a as a senior uh, citizen. I am but 50 years old, and I think the senior citizen discount begins at 62 or 65 or something like that. So I'm in this moral dilemma, of course. You know, do I tell them and, and possibly hurt their feelings that they're blind, or do I let it pass and save a couple of bucks? You know, I, I don't know. I, uh, I go home sometimes, and I look at my body in the mirror, and uh, in its day, actually it never had a day, but, but you know, there was a time when it, it looked, uh, looked a little better than it does now. Now, I admire my son, Caleb. I see he's here this morning. He's a handsome young man as ever there was, but, but he has this habit of going shirtless, and he can't help but going through and kind of uh, flexing his muscles, and, and uh, he, he's always working out and doing those things. But, but those days, they've gone past me, and Probably most of us in this room know what that means. Our bodies will deteriorate. That is part of life. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, the reality is that God intends for us during the course of our lives to grow stronger, more vibrant, more able. 
Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than he who takes a city. So there are two ways that you can think about power. One is power over outer stuff. Power over a city. Power over a country, a company, a department, a classroom. Then there is the power over an inner world. My desires, my habits, my behavior, my words. Outer power we call success. Inner power we call character. And here's the thing. The Bible says that inner power matters a whole lot more than outer power because you, your spirit, is eternal. And so that company you run, that department you manage, that classroom you teach, all of that's going to end one day. But you are forever. You are made for eternity. You are citizens of heaven. And so when that gets lost, everything gets lost. Well, this morning, I want to continue where we left off last week as we began to see that Israel had decided to elect a king. Their election was to have a king. And a man named Saul is anointed to be their first political leader. He is their first king, the first king of Israel. He was a a young man. Uh, 30 years old, and boy, it looked promising. We're told at the beginning here, you saw it, Saul was as handsome a young man as could be found in all of Israel. Now, that's pretty impressive if you think about it. That's pretty handsome. Every, Every woman wanted him. Every man wanted to be him. And the Bible says he was a head taller than anyone else. Now, i got to tell you, as a man of average height, and, uh, you know, I, I really admire this about Saul. I have always insisted that I'm a tall man scrunched into a short man's body. That's been my issue. But you guys who are tall, you are the ones that people admire and respect. When, when, when you walk into a room, people just naturally, of course, look up to you. And studies show that people perceive you as, as smarter and, and leaders. And, of course, you, you get the promotions and all of these things. And so when Saul was seen, people naturally said, yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy I want leading us. That's the guy I want to follow. But it's not that Saul was just physically impressive, according to Scripture. He was humble, too. You know, when he was literally being about ready to be anointed as king, we see that he's hiding <laughs> in the baggage. He's not, he's not saying, well, of course I should be king. That makes sense. It ought to be me. He said no. He, he says this, as a matter of fact, but am I not from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? He was quite a humble person. But even more, he had a gracious spirit. When he first became king, he has this chance to assert his power. He's going to consolidate his power. And people came to him and they said, you know, there are some folks who are opposed to you. Let us go out and bring them to you and kill them this day. 
you know, in, in our nation, we have always been blessed that transitions of power have been peaceful. And we need to pray that that is the case again. But that is not true through most of history. And yet Saul has the magnanimity to say, no one else shall be put today to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. So we get a picture of Saul. He is this young, handsome, impressive, humble, and gracious person. And if you read his story, you know that he reigns for 42 years. And yet if you know his story, you know that he died a wreck, a mess. His mind was tormented, diseased by jealousy, greed, anger, and selfishness. He alienated people who loved him. He hurt his own children. He was incapable of joy or peace. And in fact, he died at his own hand. Now, how does that happen? Listen, he didn't plan that. He didn't want that to be his story. Nobody plans on finishing like that. Nobody plans to end up greedy and selfish and bitter. But it happened. And I would submit to you this morning that that what we will see in Saul's life is that he was never willing to ask God what's broken in me that needs fixing. What's broken in me that needs fixing? And I want us this morning to examine those. There are three stages that I see of spiritual deterioration in Saul's life that I think can be a a harbinger of grace to us as we look at Saul's life and we ask God to intercept any of this in our own lives today. So let's go through those together quickly. The first thing I would submit to you with Saul is that Saul learned to tolerate subtle disobedience to God. Subtle disobedience to God. To to be honest, here's the thing that, that as I study this, it doesn't seem like what Saul does is all that big of a deal. He he just crosses the line a, a little bit. And and to many, it might even seem justifiable. He is able to rationalize his disobedience. Here's what happened. Shortly after Saul becomes king, he is going to lead the troops out against the Philistines. And the prophet Samuel comes to him and says, Saul, I want you to go down to Gilgal, and I want you to wait there, okay? I'll come in seven days, and we will seek God's help together. We'll pray, and I will offer the sacrifices. Saul, it's really important you understand this, that I will offer the sacrifices, not you. So Saul, you go down to Gilgal, you wait for seven days. Do nothing till I get there. You got it? And Saul says, I got it. What's your job? Wait. Okay. How many days? Seven days. We're all right. Let's go. Well, the Bible says this, that that Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. 
Now, I don't know much about serving in the military, but I can imagine the anticipation that, that one feels when we're waiting to go into battle. And the longer you wait, the harder it gets. Waiting is hard work. The troops are nervous. They have this new king, and they're asking, what are we doing here? Why are we waiting? And so the Bible says that Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So either Samuel is just late, or maybe they are uh, counting the days differently. Who knows? But, But the pressure is on Saul. So King Saul said, bring me the burnt offering. And Saul offers it up in worship. I'm king. I can do this. I need to start asserting myself. But just as he finishes, guess who shows up? Samuel arrives. And don't you think this is a bit awkward? And before Saul can even really greet him, Samuel immediately asks a question. What have you done? What have you done? Saul, God God raised you up. God made you king. God gave you a kingdom. God wants to use you, Saul. God asked you to do one thing. Saul, what have you done? And this is a key moment in Saul's life, it seems to me. One of those moments that that Saul is at a crossroads. He could have come clean. He could have said, I was scared. I disobeyed. I I, I was wrong. How do I make things right? But that's not what Saul does. You know, there are those defining moments in our lives when we make decisions about who we're going to be and what kind of person we're going to be, those character-defining moments. And Saul says instead to Samuel, when I saw that these men were scattering, you know, you know, Samuel, that's a real problem. My goodness, yeah. I'm supposed to be king and I can't lead if I got nobody to lead, if they're all scattered. And that you, by the way, Samuel, you the prophet, were late in coming. You did not come at the set time. It's really your fault, Samuel. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. So what we begin to see here is it's not my fault. I'm the king. I'm entitled. I should be able to do whatever I want to do. Let me tell you something. You put anxiety together with a sense of entitlement, and you're headed down a road of danger. I'm in power, I'm in control, it's okay for me, I don't have to play by the rules. That's when you're headed toward danger. A little while later, they're going to battle against the Amalekites. Samuel comes again to Saul. Saul has now messed up a couple of times. and So Samuel gives him very clear instructions King Saul, you are not to enrich yourself in this battle. When you win this battle, you're not to keep the loot. You're not to keep 
anything for yourself. You're to destroy utterly everything. The livestock, I want it destroyed. You're not to keep it. Everything gets destroyed. You got it? Got it. Well, then there's a battle. God gives them the victory. But Saul decides, you know, there's some really nice cattle and some really fine-looking sheep over there. I'm king. Doggone it. I'm going to keep it. And he does. And he disobeys what God has called him to do. Again, Samuel comes along. In fact, the Bible says early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own armor. No, or in his own honor. <laughs> Suddenly that humility is beginning to, to wear off and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. Boy, he sounds pious. Boy, he sounds religious. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Well, I didn't ask about the Lord's instructions. I didn't say a thing. Samuel, however, is not stupid. And this is what he says. But Samuel said, But what, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? Samuel, we, we all know how you love the Lord your God. You know, he's your God. And, 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 but we totally destroyed the rest. So Sam, Saul is, 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 is kind of playing this dance. It's not my fault. It, the soldiers, well, what are you going to do? They came, however, and we were just going to sacrifice these things to the God that you love so much. That seems like the best thing to do. I'm living in obedience here. Never mind that I didn't follow your instruction. So we're all good. And so again, he disobeys God. And he just refuses to come clean. And so Samuel has to tell him, Saul, the kingdom will be ripped from your grasp. And then there is this really poignant statement. It says, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. There's a lot I could say there, but I will just ask this. Have you ever been in a situation where you made a bad hire? Where you made a bad choice, you had a lot of confidence in a person and, and they failed you or it just didn't work out. Oh man, I had such hope for this person. Well, that's apparently what God felt about King Saul. But this morning, we need to look at ourselves and ask the question, is there anywhere in my life where I have been tolerating subtle disobedience to God, because that subtlety becomes larger and larger and darker and darker. The Holy Spirit is more than willing and more than capable of speaking to you and opening that area up and revealing to you where you're not right with God. Maybe, maybe 
you're a gossiper. Maybe you just have this habit. You know, you need to know this. I, I can't. I, I got to tell you because you can pray about it then. Or maybe, maybe you're. Maybe you become more and more prayerless, and you just well, you know, Pastor, I'm busy. It's really busy. Or I've been holding on to my money. You know, times are uncertain. You haven't tithed for a long time. And you're not concerned about a spirit of generosity. What's that one area of your life where you've just accepted a subtle disobedience to God? Is there any part of your life where God is saying, you know there is not a wholehearted commitment to obey me in your life right here? I plead with you right now. If God is speaking to you, get on the same page with him. Proverbs 16, 17 says, The highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their lives. There's a second stage of deterioration, and it's, and Saul's life looks like this. Saul learns to tolerate the loss of intimacy with God. It, it, it eventually goes to the point where he just doesn't want to spend time with God. You know, we see these pictures of Saul when he is a young man. He's worshiping with the prophets. He, he's a man filled with the Spirit. He, he loves to worship and praise God. He points people toward God. Then over time, as he, he falls into this pattern of disobedience, this is what you can expect to happen. You don't want to think about God. You're not comfortable in worship. You stop praying. You stop wanting to study the Bible. You just, you just don't want to go there because it makes you uncomfortable, or it makes you bored, or you don't see the point, or you just don't want to be there. And in Saul's life, the result is, is that there is this downward spiral into a sense of insecurity and discomfort and really self-destruction. He tolerates this, this distance from God. Now let me show you what that looks like. The text put it like this. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Now, let me just say, it's not that God wanted that. Saul made it clear. He doesn't want God. God doesn't force himself on us. And if you don't want to be close to God, he won't be close to you. But you draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. But then it says, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, that's scary. That's an odd phrase to be sure. Most likely this, this means, this phrase evil spirit could be translated disturbing spirit or distressing spirit or troubling spirit. The idea seems to be that as Saul uh, begins to, to, to uh, experience this distance from God, that he begins to experience pain in his life and God allows that to continue and maybe even creates it. So that Saul would experience an internal unrest, a lack of peace, unease. So he would be drawn back to seeking God, to wanting God. But Saul doesn't do that. 
Instead, the Bible says, whatever the spirit of God came, or spirit from God came on Saul, remember this is the troubling spirit, David would take up his lyre and play, and then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So in Saul's case, what we see is that music brought some relief. That's why you go into an elevator or a doctor's office, and they'll often have music playing. Some people get anxious in an elevator. We don't have any music in our elevator. We ought to try that. makes people feel comfortable, calmer. I wonder this morning, is there any unease and anxiety in your life? And you're trying to find something that will relieve it? When you're still and you get uncomfortable and it's dark at night and you're laying there by yourself and so you escape, you want to find relief. So what do you do? Could be a whole host of things. Maybe you work a little longer or spend a little more or eat a little more. Maybe you go online or on your cell phone or have another drink. Something to fill the gap. Something to provide relief. And that's what we see with Saul. But the tragedy was that Saul got used to living distant from God. And while the relief was for a moment, the spiral downward continued on. He filled the gap with other stuff. And let me ask you this morning, is that what is happening to you? What fills that gap? Finally, I I see a third stage here. Saul learns to tolerate poisoned relationships. You know, at the beginning of his reign, people loved Saul. You could tell. They thought he was the guy. There was even this young kid named David. We see David. He wanted to be with Saul. He wanted to help Saul. He wanted to be Saul's friend. David was a musician in his, in, in his court. David was a soldier in his army. All David wanted to do was, 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 was assist Saul as best he could. But Saul, of course, becomes jealous and worried that David is out to get him, and he becomes incapable of a healthy relationship and intimacy with others. In fact, and I won't go through all of this, but this is what one of the things we know. Saul, the Bible says, was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. In fact, Saul told his son, Jonathan, and all his attendants to kill David. Jonathan was David's friend too. And so his son, Jonathan, said to his father, I can't do that. David is loyal to you. But look at what happens. The Bible says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Now, that could be translated in any number of ways, okay? And uh, pretty ugly phrase, to be very honest with you. It's kind of ugly language. But he says, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? He can't even say his name 
with a son of Jesse to your own shame? Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. And Jonathan responds, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. That's where rage takes you. Saul tries to kill his own son, who loves him. This is where the downward spiral takes you. It begins to destroy relationships. I'm telling you, enmity, hostility, sin, poisons relationships. Let me just say this, and I'll do this quickly. Election season... Always involves disagreement. We can disagree. And, and by the way, they should, we should disagree. I mean, we're not going to see eye to eye on certain things. And I think that's generally the way democracies work. But I have to tell you, this season in particular has been so troublesome with the language and the vitriol and the hate and the, the, the out-of-control comments. And social media, of course, doesn't help that. But remind yourself who you are and what you're a citizen of and who you represent before you say anything. Because creating division does not honor God. And it poisons our souls. That's not to be us. Saul led the way in pointing Israel to the one true God. And yet now he is an old man. He has been on the throne for 40 years, and once again, they're going out to face battle with the Philistines, and Saul, 40 years later, is just as scared as he was when he started. In fact, it's worse. He has no friends. He has no courage. If you know the story, this is what happens. The Bible says, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. God wouldn't answer. You know, it seems to me a really good question to ask is, am I the kind of person that God wants to guide? See, King Saul had asked God for guidance, but truth is he really didn't want God's guidance. He wanted some special knowledge so he could get his way. He wanted some special knowledge so he could look better and be successful. But he wasn't interested in God's guidance. How can I get God to help me? Certainly. How can I serve my agenda? That's what he wanted. And God is not interested in that. Not a bit. Because God cares about character. And don't don't forget that as we think about leaders. God cares about character. So Saul chooses to go to a witch. She is known as the witch of Endor. This is a very strange passage. Saul, in fact, had outlawed any occult practice in all of Israel, and yet he knows where she is. He goes to her, and he, he tries to get... Information from her in his pathetic desperation. 
We know that prophet Samuel had died some time back, and he uses this witch to call up his spirit from the underworld. Now, that gets very eerie, and I don't have time to discuss all of what that means and what it tells us about life after death. That's really not where I want to go this morning, but this is the story of Saul's descent. And Samuel, the prophet, comes up from the underworld. His spirit speaks, and this is what he says to Saul. He says, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? Boy, don't want to be God's enemy. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Death has not mellowed Samuel at all. He's right up front. The next day the battle commences and the last time we see King Saul, he falls on his own sword when the battle is lost. It's tragic. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And I have to think about my life, and I think about yours, but I'm thinking about mine this morning. The more I think about, man, I, I need to be careful to finish well. It's not going to happen by accident. It doesn't happen by drift. It happens because of intentionality. But here's the good news, and here's the main thing I want you to see. The truth is, no matter how old you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've messed up, no matter what you've done that you would wish that you had never done at all, there is a place that you can come to for a fresh start. It's the broken body and shed blood of of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross that we would be made new and whole. And and then I thought about that. Here's here's a cool thing I discovered or thought about this week. In the New Testament, there's another man who was named Saul. (laughs) He too was an enemy of God. He too was on a destructive path Literally, we call it the road to Damascus. And yet, he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, everything changed. He became an apostle, an advocate, a great servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems to be that Jesus is the only one who can turn a Saul into a Paul. He could take somebody whose life was going to be a wreck and turn him into a light of radiance and joy and peace and finish well. Only Jesus. He can do that for you. And he can do that for me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Let's pray. Father, I humbly come before you right now because I see certain areas in my life where I am broken and I need you. And I confess, Lord, that it's so easy to just drift and tolerate distance from your presence. 
Lord, I pray right now the Spirit would search our hearts and our minds. And we would ask a very simple question. Am I closer today to you than I was a year ago? Or am I drifting? Lord, am I willing to give you the room in my life where I can pursue you and be pursued by you? Where I am willing to confess my sins. And Lord, the word is so clear. You are able to free us and forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will hold those sins not against us, but we can be made new because of Jesus Christ. Lord, if someone this morning has awakened to the reality of of a spiral downward, and they want to pursue you, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be there to lift them up and encourage them. And may they know the peace that only you can offer. And so once again, Lord, we come together to praise you for the cross, to thank you for life transformation. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us the way. And may we, Lord, who started out as Saul's, maybe with much potential, but Lord, as we've gone along, we've somehow lost our way. May we find you today. I pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, I haven't done this in a long time, and, and it's